So, that, so all of that leads me here. Why are we uh-huh. standing on top of a giant landfill? What, like, why did you take me here, and why do I see so many discarded candles? Well, Dave, okay, I wanted you to see firsthand the problem facing the candle industry. Mm. L- let me hit you with this stat. This okay. is actually sit down okay. on all those discarded candles. Ow, 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 ow. Yeah, it's going to be sharp. Almost two billion candles are sold globally each year, and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next million years. Okay. I, I wouldn't say this to a lot of people, John. Yeah. You're not lying to me because you don't lie to me, John. I, I would never lie, especially about candles. I, saw, I told you that the first years, day we met. That is Gnarls Barkley crazy. Although I must admit, this landfill does smell pretty great compared <laughs> to what I anticipated. The, you know, the candles do kind of pick that part up, but it's disturbing. John. Hey, Dave, yeah. you're funny, but this is no time to I'm joke. So sorry, okay, The dude. folks at Notes yep. knew that we all want our homes to smell great. I do. But figured there had to be a more responsible way. And guess what? They found the perfect solution. What did they come Let up with? Let me tell you. If you'll okay. stop interrupting me, so I'll tell you. So Notes created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again. And guess what, Dave? Again. Again. Yes. Please don't interrupt me. So you don't become part of the problem. It's so easy to use. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads, and all you do is place the wick in the reusable notes jar, fill it up with the wax beads, enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours, and then just do it all over again when you're ready to get a new one. Oh, so that means I can switch out of fragrances all the time. That's right. That sounds great. I'm checking out their website, and I think I already have my eye on the Centol and Atlas Cedar. Cedar. I knew that would be Plumeria and Pink Current. Yep, Mm. yep, yep. The one that you're enjoying right now, uh-huh. Smell that? Mm, it's vanilla and pepperwood. That's like my two favorite scents. No, and the names of your bunnies, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, just coincidence there. <laughs> okay. Did you know that there are thirteen amazing fragrances what? in all? Dave, that's almost fourteen oh. fragrances, <laughs> handcrafted <laughs> by fragrance experts at their home base in South Carolina. And they are to die for. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up on high-quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notecandles.com slash podcast. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code DADVILLE. Just use code DADVILLE when placing your order. That's code DADVILLE at notecandles.com slash podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... David Nassau. John? Uh, Dave? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. Okay. I knew, uh, okay. Okay. I want to tell you this uh, when I made sure it was you. I'm feeling great today. Okay. Well, you but, look amazing. But let me just. Sorry. Because I just Sorry. engaged in my daily routine. And that Which is. Which is what? John, if you just. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Taking AG1 by Athletic Greens. That's what I do. Oh, I knew it. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted immune system support, but I hated taking pills or vitamins. L- listen, Dave. Okay. I just did the exact no. same thing. 
Yep. No, we Twinsies. look exactly the same I right know. now. AG1 makes me feel great. I know. Right? Yep. Starting every day with AG1 makes it easy to ensure that I'm getting all the nutrients I need. And Dave, you know I need nutrients. Listen, I'm going to break the third pl- the, the, the third wall here, John. I don't <laughs> care. Folks, now we're talking to you. John and I take one scoop a day, mixed in a glass of ice cold water, mm. and boom, boom. shakalaka goes yep. the dynamite. 75 minerals min- and vitamins. <laughs> I don't know how many minerals. I said 75, John, and I don't want that to be false advertising, but I'm going to keep going. There's so many. There's 75 vitamins. Who knows how many minerals, but definitely <laughs> minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, and they're headed straight to our guts, John. That's right. right. to our bellies. Yeah, and let me add to that, Dave. Okay, okay. When AG1 gets into our bellies, yes. I don't like saying bellies. Just but say it. Just keep going. Bellies. Yeah. It gives us gut and mood support. Yep. Right? Yep. But also boosted energy. Yep. And even healthier looking skin, I don't know hair, how, and I don't nails. know how you could do it, John. You look so healthy. But it, for you. me, for me, yep, it's the healthiest thing you can do in under a minute. And I do it way under a minute. You do. I've like, seen almost 30 seconds across yeah. the street. Plus, let me add to that. Okay. AG1 is delivered to you every month. So it's so easy to make it a daily habit. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and Five free travel packs with your first purchase. Amazing. So yep. go to athleticgreens.com slash dadville. That's athleticgreens.com slash dadville. Check it out. We've never warmed up this much for an interview, David. <laughs> We're actually on the cool down right now. <laughs> it's going to be a 10 minute interview. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. So today we have David Nasser with us. David, I've really looked forward to this for a long time. It means a lot that you've made time and that you're Thanks for here. having me. You have a reputation that precedes you. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's not bad. It's both. I don't, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> it's a little it's of everything. It's just a little reputation. bit of everything. This is great. I feel like I've known you for a long time. We've hung a few times, but yeah. I just feel like you've all, you know, David Nasser. That has always been in the ether. Like, as long as I've been playing music, people are like, dude, you know who you need to be. David really? Nasser. And then finally, you know, uh, which I'll talk about in a second, but you were at Liberty for forever, kind of yeah. running. Seven years. Seven years. What was your title there? I was a campus pastor. Yeah. But the official title was Senior Vice President of Spiritual Development. Yes. But all that to say, I was there to pastor the yeah. student body. Yeah. I played a show, and I have never in my life. You were amazing. Our students Don't loved having Don't you at Convo. Do that. Stop. It was what amazing. were the specific things they said? <laughs> but I've never been so taken care of. Everybody that I've talked to also who's done that has said the same thing. From the minute I literally pulled on campus, how you hosted me, and everybody I know that's done it has said the same thing, was so intentional. Mm. And it made me, for our first real interaction as as friends, I was like, oh, this is somebody I want to get to know better because this is someone who has a lot of intention. So yeah. when we when we talked about having people on in this next season, I was like, I really want to get you on because I think you're someone who yeah. thinks about things very purposefully. Well, thanks for that. Um, our team gets the credit for that. I mean, first of all, we had a lot of practice. I mean, when you have 80 convocations a year, three times a week, people are coming your way. You get a lot of practice in hospitality. Mm -hmm. But for us, at the end of the day, it was the idea of most of our guests travel from one place to another. Mm. We're probably stop number 17 on tour for them where they've got a book coming out and that's why they're with us. So how do we serve them? They're coming Mm. to serve us, but Mm. How do we figure out? And we call it death by a thousand paper cuts. Like, yeah, how yeah. do we just find different places yeah. at every turn 
to honor them, to love them, to set them up well. But again, our team did that. It was incredible. I mean, I yeah. remember getting out of the car. Someone was holding the doors. Then someone was in the elevator. Then people were waiting for me at the top of the elevator. And they took me to a room where there was food. Nobody kind of sat down and they fed me, which meant a lot to me. <laughs> they chewed um, the food. They literally, <laughs> Mama they, it. it was really awkward, but tasted amazing, which was a different experience. But, you know, and then I did the show, the, the way y'all prayed before the show, the intentionality yeah. y'all had. Your brother was there, which was so sweet. I remember from that day too, which you won't because you did a hundred of these, the NBA coach was there with his son who was looking. Do you remember this? And we had him in the prayer circle. Was it Doc? It was somebody that I was freaking out because I knew him growing up, but his son, he's a coach. Anyway, he was there. That was really cool. Afterwards, how y'all did that. And then I remember, which such a, I thought about this so much, how before I left, you're like, all right, you get to take one thing from this closet. Oh, the gift closet. It was such a well-orchestrated thing, but we're getting ahead. What thing did you take? I said, just love. I said, can I just take love? And he That's said, the one thing. just he love said, in the form take. of you've this passed, watch. You've passed the test, <laughs> and now you can take two things. And I remember that. No, you know what I thought? Which Did you I, take two things? No. But you know what was the pro move? The, the secret was, anytime somebody would go, I can't decide, our automatic reaction was, you can take both. Well, but you, you know, should have said, I can't decide. Do you decide. know what yeah. I did? Always. It's still one of yeah. my shining moments as a husband. Yeah. Literally. Because y'all had some rad stuff in that closet. Right, right. Rad stuff. Right. That I was like, this is a genuine dilemma by god's sweet grace yeah i had a moment of clarity because it was close to valentine's day and i was like you know what i'm gonna get my wife something that's so good and i got her one of those barefoot dreams blankets yeah to this day i don't know that i've given her a better gift in the history that's awesome can i just say like i I stole that idea i mean i'm a culture vulture like Mm -hmm. everywhere i would go and be a speaker and be in someone else's green room or someone else's pastor's office or someone else's pre and post and during experience Something would happen, and sometimes it's like you're making a mental note. I'll never do that because they did that, and that didn't feel. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like that's amazing. We were just like the greatest hits of everyone else's ideas. Well, that was incredible. And somewhere along the path, someone, I think, had this idea, and it wasn't ours. That hey, instead of me trying to figure out how to like send you a tie and you don't wear one, or send you something, like why don't I just have a budget? Yeah. Inside that closet, yeah. you know, and let you come and just pick what you want yeah it was very much in the guardrails of we didn't want to be extravagant or irresponsible with God's resources but at the same time like man we got about 150 bucks to just like say thank you yeah you might want a Thuragun massager or you might want to yeah a blanket oh, for your it wife was, or whatever. It more we stole that idea, I think, from The more spiritual else. guys probably took the blankets like I did because they <laughs> weren't thinking about themselves. Okay, so so we got to talk about you for a second. Here's the David Nasser brag sheet and it's getting to know you all about you. Okay, so Iranian born, which is like, That's I mean, right. I don't, I really, I've probably, I've probably, and this is through soccer, I only probably know five Iranian people. Yeah. I mean, that is not a common thing in the States, right? Like, I mean, Iranian-born Muslim who converted to Christianity after escaping from Iran. That's right. That's the coolest first sentence we've ever read. On that's a first for Dadville. <laughs> I'm your first Iranian-born. <laughs> well, no, just refugee. I mean that's yeah. You've got that's like a Mad Libs of cool <laughs> things in one sentence in the first sentence. Traveled for over thirty years as a speaker for conferences, crusades, and festivals all over the world. Authored five books. Is it five or more? It's five. Okay, yeah. I thought it was more than that, but maybe if you just chop them in half, it's like more than that. Uh, senior VP in Canvas, which we talked about, pastor at Liberty U, uh, led the world's largest collegiate ministry, which included, among other responsibilities, the largest weekly gathering. You spoke at convocation yeah. of young adults. How many people tuned in? We had about ten thousand on in you know that, in, w- yeah, that would come to the site. auditorium. Yeah, yeah and uh, come to the 
you know, gathering, and they had to come. By the way, like it, yeah. it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they had to be. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I mean, remember one time I'm backstage, and literally Donald Trump is sitting beside wow. me, and and he looks over at me, and he goes, "So uh, Bernie Sanders was just here a couple of weeks ago." I said, "Yes, sir." And he goes, "Is this a bigger crowd? Do I have a bigger crowd than Bernie?" <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have the heart to tell him like. It's they have to come. They have <laughs> right. to come. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it feels bigger. He was like, good. good. <laughs> what a yeah. great feels what a, bigger. Feels bigger. It really feels the vibe. It feels bigger. Is, oof, man. The lights feel brighter. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, so it was the largest weekly gathering. But then you all had adults, but it's li- all ten thousand coming together. And then we live streamed it. Yeah, which was how many people? It just depended on the guest. But yeah, yeah sometimes it'd be you know a, a really large audience on Facebook, and then yeah, sometimes yeah. it'd be smaller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when I was there. Three Dove Awards for Zach producing, which I think is a cool, that's a cool flex and co-writing. I mean, that's a cool it's crazy. thing to yeah. have in your pocket. That is just, that's literally what happens when you're just friends with people who know about music. And because a large, a large part of your life was music for a while, right? Weren't you sort of in the, or just kind of foot in it or something? No, man. I mean, literally the, those Dove Awards came, Mac Powell from yep. Third Day and yep. I are, are buddies and we were grilling out on vacation and he was like, what are you working on next? And while we're grilling, I said, I'm working on a book called Glory Revealed. I'm thinking about ways that God reveals himself to us, you know? Mm. And as we were talking through it, he goes, I've got a couple of weeks next week if you want to like maybe put some of those scripture passages to, to song. And we showed up at his studio a week later, texted buddies and without anybody knowing, without permission, just started asking friends to like sing wow. scripture-driven bluegrass oh, music. Oh, yeah. My wife likes bluegrass. And this album came out, and then the next thing you know, it had two Dove Awards, and then we did a second one and another Dove Award. So I know nothing about music. <laughs> Literally, at a grill out, I said to my yeah, yeah, friend, yeah. sure. And then, and then, then, and then on, the co- on the co-write, you know, yeah, Dove yeah. Awards, it's it's scripture, like the songs yeah, are yeah. scripture. So yeah, you're gonna be I pointed to that. Psalm 51 and go, that's a good one, guys. God's, you're going to be and accountable so to that, by the God, way. God, <laughs> you're going to get to heaven. God's like, oh, you co-wrote. That's you co-wrote. That's bold, Nasser. Right. Nasser, that's bold. You're coming in hot But I'll day. take it. I'll take the awards. It's, um, it's fun. Also, good paperweights. TED Talk entitled Immigrants, We Get the Job Done, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> which, is, uh, which is, you know, Lin-Manuel from yeah, yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's a great talk. I watched it this morning. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And then currently president of Four Others, a nonprofit organization that so- serves vulnerable and at-risk children, which was founded by Chris Tomlin, which we love. And y'all did such a cool event. That y'all, That's one of the best events I've ever been to. Shocker. I mean, this is, again, yeah. the, your fingerprints. But, like, out at the golf course what, a couple of years ago? God, that yeah. Cool. The, the, that's coming right back up. Uh, the our, our vision gathering. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a celebrity golf tournament and that yeah. vision gathering. Yeah, that you was— You and Annie got to be a part of that. So much fun. Man, thanks for being a part of that. So much fun. Oh, so God, good. was great. Yeah. There's a bajillion things to talk about, but can you talk to us a little bit about— I mean, again, first sentence that I said, Iranian-born Muslim who escapes, right? Escapes Iran. Right, like, yeah. And then comes to America. Like, what is that like? Have you have you already like given up on like I have to tell the story every time I go in because I, I watched that yeah. that TED talk this morning and I'm like this is this could just be the episode. This is incredible. The story yeah. is incredible. I'm yeah. sure you must walk in some places and be like, guys, can you just watch the talk it, it, and I'll talk about something else. It's an interesting thing because in one sense you're right. Like it's why. A lot of people invite me to come speak at a church or a conference, yeah. and it's evergreen, man. Like yeah. every time Iran or the Middle East is in the news, mm-hmm. people are like, 
we should bring Nasser back. <laughs> and so I, in one sense, the reality is it is an expectation. And it's and I feel like, man, I've got more to preach than just the story right. over and over again. Yeah. But in another sense, John, when I start telling it, I'm always mm. filled with gratitude. Yeah. I'm always yeah. just like, look what God has done. Like even when you were reading that little list, none of that stuff is like accomplishments. They're yeah. like assignments. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow. Like they're like, wow, look what God did. I just happened to be at the right place at the yeah, right yeah. time. And God allowed me to be a part of this album or God allowed me to go to Liberty and serve these students or God allowed me to have a great team mm. to build hospitality. They were just assignments. And so the testimony is the same, like that God would somehow in his sovereignty and his grace and mercy and provision do all these things in my life. And then I'm, I'm getting to tell people about it, you know, mm-hmm. so that they're inspired to think about God's work in their own lives. Mm-hmm. So it is a presumption Especially when I go somewhere for the first time, people are yeah. like, hey, can you tell, tell us yeah. about the story? Yeah. And I do sometimes feel like, oh, I want to I talk about something else or maybe something fresh that God's doing in my life. But as soon as I start talking about it, it's I'm so just powerful. Like, oh, man, we're all, we're all prone to wonder, prone to forget. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when your life so constantly is tethered to telling your story, mm. you're constantly reminded of how far you've come mm-hmm. and how, what, you know, and what all God has done. Yeah. So yeah, I never get, I never get tired of it, Yeah. but I do sometimes feel like there's more, you know? So, right. so do, the, yeah. do, do right. this for us then. Give us like the bullet point version. Cause you don't need to, you don't, yeah. you know, you don't yeah. need to exume. Coal miner's daughter. No, no, no <laughs> sorry. No, I, so I was, I was nine years old when in 1979, the Iranian revolution happened. Mm. And, and, and when that happened, the Ayatollah Khomeini and his religious zealots, I call it religion gone wrong basically came and took over Iran's government. And when that happened, my dad was high-ranked in the military oh, wow. at that time. So I remember just those winds of change. I mean, I was a little bitty kid, but I remember my mom and dad kind of kind of like sidebarring in the kitchen and just talking about what's going on and hearing like think, rumblings of things that are happening. And then from my seat in the stands, I remember going to school one day as a little kid and I went to a military school in our army base where my dad served. And I remember being called out to a school assembly and a soldier standing in front of our entire student body and reading my name and two other students' names out. I didn't understand there was a revolution going on. I just remember going to school, being called out to an assembly and the soldier read my name and I walked to the front and I remember a soldier taking a gun and pointing it at me and telling me that he was assigned to come take my life. Oh, my, oh my gosh. Like, just, as you're walking up, you're probably thinking nothing, because you're at a military school, your dad's in the I'm military, nine. a soldier. You're like, well, this is just par for the course. Yeah, when you're nine, you're thinking, should I eat this crayon? I mean, you're certainly not thinking, like, <laughs> what's happening? There's a revolution. That was like the, 9 to 13. I was going to say, mine yeah. hasn't stopped. <laughs> if it's the right smelling crayon. Yeah. By 13, you're like, should I smoke this crayon? <laughs> but anyway, so, so I just remember walking up, and this soldier dropping this piece of paper that had the three names, quoting the Quran, and then just Mm. like looking, honestly, I remember thinking, he looks scared enough to mean it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like he's being forced to do this. Yeah, and he's serious. And and I remember the school principal getting between me and the gun and asking him, like, you know, hey, please don't do this. This is not the right, come back another time. And, And so he left, and I went home and told my dad, and I remember my dad sitting me on his lap and just crying and, and saying, I'm sorry that happened to you, and explaining to me the revolution. The government's been overthrown. They're making an example of people. 
I'm high ranked in the military, and so they're trying to make an example of our entire family. And they're basically killing everybody who's anybody. And I remember as a nine-year-old kid trying to process that, and yeah. then my dad saying, they're not going to get you. You're not going back to school. And then fast forward about a week and a half later, you know, I remember soldiers coming to my home and dragging my dad out of our home. And when I say dragging, the reason they were dragging is because my mom was hanging on to my dad's leg. Oh, my gosh. And soldiers are just taking us, taking him out of the house. And I remember my mom screaming, just kill him quickly. Just kill him quickly. Kill Jeez, him. David. And my first memory of prayer ever was yeah. they take my dad out of the house. My mom grabs my hand, my sister's hand, and she says, let's pray. And my mom was praying over and over again that my dad would be killed quickly. And at the end of the prayer, I asked my mom, like, why, why are we praying for dad to be killed quickly? And she explained. She said, look, uh, he's being taken to this park. His best friend who serves alongside of him was taken to the same park yesterday. And he was tied to a tree and slowly tortured to death. And so we need to pray that your dad is killed quickly and not with a pair of pliers, you know, slowly tortured. So when you're nine and you're praying through that kind of trauma, like, God, I don't know what we've done to upset you. Because these people are doing all of this in the name of God and in the name of religion. I don't know what we've done to upset you, but can my dad at least be killed quick? Jeez, The last thing you feel like is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And you're nine years old. Yeah. I mean, this is like, it's traumatic for sure at nine. It's traumatic at 39. Right. But at nine, it's like, the sad thing about it is like, you're like, okay, so this is, this happens. Right. And you've been like in the world for five minutes and you're like, well, one option could be that your dad gets drug out of the house, you know, and military coups. And you're not praying that he lives. You're actually praying for quick death. Exactly. Did you have like a sense that like, oh, this just happens or were you like, no, no, this is a really, this is a really like unique situation that we're in? It was, it's a great question, John, because it's unique when I sit here, you know, in Nashville and tell it to two Americans, uh, but to the Iranian people wow. that were around us, wow. it's what everyone was going through. Jeez, yeah. Everyone was going through a revolution. Everyone's life was turned upside down. Everyone was experiencing you know, the effects of what was happening right there, right yeah. outside of our doors, right? Yeah. And so our story isn't that unique. When you talk to other Iranians that went through that revolution, mm-hmm. they all have traumatic, yeah. dramatic things that happened to them. And so I just remember thinking, I'm not the only kid even in this army base who's dealing with these kind of things, you know? It's interesting, like even sitting here talking to you guys about this. My earliest memories of God are those memories. And I say God as in like my definition of God. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, God hates us. I know most nine-year-olds don't think I hate God, but I remember being nine and thinking, I hate God Mm. because he's about to kill my dad. And he's people that represent him. You know, that guy came to our school and he was leading worship, not with a guitar in his hand, but with a gun in his hand. In his mind, he was being called. And so to me, it was very much like trying to decipher what was happening. And by God's grace, my dad comes home that day, and he wasn't killed. How? Yeah, how did he get out of there? It's a crazy story, guys. Like, my dad gets taken to the park. This guy who is kind of running shop at the park, who had converted, you know, like, to the other side during the, during the, during the revolution. This soldier comes up to my dad and says, I remember you when my wife was on bed rest years ago because she was pregnant, and the doctor said, you have to be in bed. I was out of sick days or out of off days. But you gave me extra off days. 
And because of that, I'm going to give you some extra off days. You go home, and in a couple of weeks, we're coming back for you. But I'm going to give you two extra weeks because you gave me two extra weeks. Oh, my gosh. Probably knowing full well, like, you need to get, you're going to flee the country. Like, I don't know, bro. My dad says, I don't remember that happening. Like, he's like, I don't oh, really? remember telling someone. No, he was high ranking. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right, right. He goes, this guy remembered me. I don't remember him. I don't yeah. remember the circumstances. Sure. Maybe someone in my name said, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, he's given us permission to do this or whatever. He said, I didn't question it. I just, I got let go. I <laughs> you imagine home. if he was like, I don't think that was I don't me. Want, this feels like a weird yeah. time to say this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to. Sure? I'll, I'll Tell want... me your last name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not. I can't take glory for that, buddy. I probably would have <laughs> made ahead. you stay. I didn't make Go a ahead. lot of people stay. <laughs> we actually need to reconcile that because you weren't supposed to be paid for those days <laughs> Do you off. mind if I go home and look at my <laughs> yeah. charts? My dad didn't let accuracy get in the way. He was like, good. I remember gracious. that. How's your wife doing? How's yeah. She, she good? Anyway, so he, so he comes home. And we started planning our escape. Like we go to like fast forward mode of like front burner. How do we get out? And my mom had had heart issues and she'd been going to see these doctors. And so they leveraged that as the opportunity to get out. So they, they go to these doctors and they said, look, we, we want to get out of Iran. And if we can have your help, we'll give you our home, our cars, our clothes, everything that we own. Like you can, Jeez, you can basically please. have our life here. Mm-hmm. And my parents owned a few homes, like a vacation home and a, and a nicer one and, and then nice cars. And, and so these doctors came in on the plan. And my mom, a couple of days later, acted as though her heart was bothering her. It was all fabricated. And this ambulance came and got her, took her to the ambulance, I mean, took her to the hospital. And these doctors took her to the back and came back out and said, she needs emergency surgery and we don't have the technology for what she needs and we need to have her go immediately to switzerland for this operation that didn't really exist so that's how the doctors helped us and so they and signed the are, documentation these are, these are local doctors I these were local doctors yeah, yeah. in iran they were basically essentially getting paid to help and i think actually probably felt compassion for us mm-hmm. and wanted to help mm-hmm. us get out. Yeah. And so, so uh, sorry, I have a million questions. Yeah. So it, it, the, the, these coup, it, it wouldn't have been widespread enough that the doctors didn't feel safe. It was being pointed at people like the y'all. military. So, so they were like, no, I love living here and we'll be fine. It's just you guys who are having to deal with this crazy coup. Yeah. Well, certainly the country is, as it was being overthrown. I mean, Iran had become quite Westernized. Yeah. And, and these, that was the whole thrust of the revolution. The Ayatollah Khomeini yeah, was coming yeah. and was saying, you're now in the, pocket, the back pocket of the West, and look how liberal you've become. Yeah, yeah. And these mullahs were coming in to bring it back to godliness, yeah, quote-unquote, yeah. like, yeah. which is religion. Right? So while y'all are escaping, they wouldn't have felt as nervous yet as Not y'all as were. nervous. Certainly they wouldn't have felt like because of their position yeah, they were, that their were lives okay. were in danger. Yeah, yeah. And so – and my mom legit had heart issues. Yeah. So they were safe in saying – we see they, issues. Paperwork. She needs to go right away. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's proof. Yeah. Yeah. And so we bought two airline tickets. Like we were going for this operation and coming back. They said the family can go for support. We bought we – got we got homework assignments. Like we were going and coming back. Got the house set up. We were going and coming yeah, back. Yeah. But we were coming back. We were literally running for our lives. And I remember being at the Iranian airport and just holding my dad's hand in the airport. And his hands are shaking and he keeps saying like if they – if they find out we're escaping, they're going to kill us right here on the spot. But they didn't, you know. And to me, from that perspective as a nine-year-old, we were escaping from God. Mm, but wow, now wow. I see it, you know, as a guy who's 53 years old, as a believer, and I realize how, like, I thought God was hurting us 
but he was actually holding us. I thought God was actually the one we were running away from, but God was really the deliverer who was allowing us to get out of that. When that plane is in the air, I mean, I know you're nine years old, but do you remember how that felt? I remember the first can of Coke ever. Like, I'd never seen Coke in a can. They brought me one, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. God is on our side. I remember thinking, yeah, I remember thinking, like, this, this is horrible that we're leaving because I just got this Lego set. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. never got to play with it. My, my mom and dad bought me the $6 million man, which was an action figure. Uh-huh. And I, I had to give it away. But ins- we were giving stuff away to our friends and family, mm. you know, like that, that we knew that we were not coming back. Yeah. And I just remember leaving. And that's, that's how God shelters a child, like right. from the, the, the hugeness of the moment. Mm. So we're on a plane and we're, we're flying to leave everything you've left everything and i'm thinking about my legos and i'm thinking i've never seen a coke, coke in a can this is amazing so, so it was kind of sheltered. you're sad about your toys and stuff like that but you're kind of excited about this adventure that you're going yeah on. we're on a plane and we're yeah. going so when y'all touch down in switzerland can you yeah. see your parents relief i mean can you feel yeah you can feel that so so bro like we we literally land ambulance comes by the plane to like get my mom on oh, that's it. That's right, because she's still, and, right. And they basically say, no, we, we don't need this. We need political asylum, we, which is a fancy way of saying we want to become refugees, yeah. find yeah. refuge. Yeah. And, and they, they're, they're, so they tell my parents, like I wasn't there. My, my, I can see my dad and he's talking to the, you know, to the people. We're just sitting there. Does he speak sister, English? Barely at that point. Right? Jeez Louise. But he's explaining to them what's happening and how we just escaped and he was wanted there. I mean, he's, he's high ranked there and all these things. And, and we can't go back. And so they took us to the airport, and my father asked to speak to the American consulate. And at that time, nobody was allowing Iranians into America because this revolution yeah, yeah, was happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. The government had been overthrown. People were burning the American flag. Mm-hmm. They're calling America the great Satan. 54 Americans were held hostage in the American embassy in Iran. Right, right. So this was like all over news, right? Every day Dan Rather is opening the news by saying day 12 of the hostage situation. Yeah. So this wasn't something across yeah. the ocean yeah. that was happening. This was like affecting Americans. This was Americans are being held hostage. They're burning our flag. And so we were from the wrong place at the wrong time. John, can I ask a favor? Please. Can I tell you something that I really want? Well, which is it? You want to ask a favor? Well, it's, or a double, it's a double question. Okay. Just say yes. Yes. I want to fill my best for the summer season with mm-hmm. balanced, crave-worthy meals that support my healthy lifestyle. T- tastes great too, John. Is that too much to ask? Well, listen up, Dave. Okay. Listen, because I want to tell you about Green Chef. Uh, okay. This yes. is your lucky day. Green Chef will help you celebrate summer with seasonal recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. John, now, Your three favorite things. It, well, I was going to say, yeah. I heard everybody on the streets saying, and I just want to confirm it, I heard that Green Chef is the number one meal kit one. for yep. eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around, John. That's right. Is it that is, true? It's number one indeed, okay. Dave. Okay. Just last night. Okay. Amy and I made some wild-caught, and we didn't even have to catch it. Yeah, yeah. They catch it, the stuff for you. Yeah. We made some wild-caught sockeye salmon. Am I saying that correct? Yeah, no, I saw it. it sockeye? Was, I saw yeah. the box. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. And meals like that from Green Chef fit our lifestyle, like meals under 700 calories, 
high protein meals with at least 50 grams of protein per serving, and flavorful plant rich vegan and vegetarian meals. Man, that sounds good. Yeah. And you know what, Johnny? Tell me. I'm looking at greenchef.com right now, and mm-hmm. this ranch steak with truffle sauce looks incredible. Okay, so Dave, that's one of my favorites. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Italian shrimp and creamy rice. Ooh. That's great, too. And hey, tell everybody about our special dad built deal. Okay, you'll have to, you'll have to ask Just me twice. Just tell them, please. Well, now you did ask me twice. Okay. Go to greenchef.com slash dadville60 and use code dadville60 to get 60% off. That's insane. Plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash dadville60 and use the code dadville60 to get 60% off. 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, it's the number one meal kit for eating well. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's John and Dave. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's John Answer and the Dave. door. Knock, knock. Who is there? It's John Why are they and ringing Dave the doorbell? We've John got a doorbell for a reason. <laughs> John, you have two choices. Okay. The first is you eat better every day, but it's really difficult. Go on. That's choice one. Two, the second is you eat better every day, but it's really easy. <laughs> Man, that's tough. This is already taking too long. That you is tough. Okay. Sorry. Well, okay. I, I, I prefer the second one where yep. you eat better every day yep. and it's yeah, really that's right. easy. That's the right answer. Uh, in fact, I'd like for it to take the form of delicious ready-to-eat meals. Can oh, I add that to the scenario? Mac, you are going to love Factor. Are you ready for Factor. pre-prepared, yes. chef-crafted, yes. and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door? John, let's tell them quickly what's not going to happen. Where are they not delivering? They're not going to leave it on the corner. Nope. Nope. Unless you live right on the corner. Yeah, then they're going to live it. They're not going to find a street child. We have those everywhere in 12 South. Street and just give it to the street child, child as they disappear into a back alley somewhere. No, it's not going to happen. And listen, yeah. you said dietitian approved. Yeah. Dave, you know this is about me. I only eat food that's, that's dietitian approved. That's why I said it, John. Not only that, but you'll also have over 35 meals to choose from. You come to me and, and you say every week, Dave, I'll take 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. And it, it is 35, John, meals to choose from. And that's per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, yes. vegan and yes. veggie, and what we call that the VNV, mm-hmm. and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons. You'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options. Dave, the only question that I'm left with is what am I waiting mm. for? Okay, I'll answer my own question. Okay. Nothing. Whoa. Right? Okay. I'm Just ready for factors two-minute meals. They're not three minutes. You don't have time for that. Two minutes. So I can fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals, all delivered, again, Dave, straight to your door. Knock, knock, who's there? Factor has everything you need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices. Let me tell you what they're not going to do, John. Hot I'm going to be warm-pressed. Not even warm. Oh, no. There was a huge fat in the 70s. Didn't work. <laughs> Smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, <laughs> veggie sides, and more to eat. To eat, to keep you energized. Eat, and they're going to keep you energized, John. During <laughs> frantic times. I'm frantic right now because you're just so, so pumped frantic. Up. I'm so pumped up. Dave, Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options. Ooh. You know I love upscale. Uptown, girl. I was going to say. You're- yeah. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Gracious. Right? I'd I do 18 for sure. Yeah. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your delivery Anytime. Anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash dadville50 and use code dadville50 to get 50% off. No, that can't be right. No, it is. That's too good of a deal. Yeah. 
That's code DADVILLE50 at factormeals.com slash DADVILLE50 to get 50% off. That's half if my math is correct. It is. Go get it, guys. What was that sound, John? Dave, uh-huh. calm down. Oh, Everything's sorry. okay. Ooh. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's the moment another business dream comes a reality. Oh. You know, when you hear that sound, another business gets its wings. Oh, my God. I know that because I've been using Shopify you for have. years. You have, John. It's one of my favorite things about you. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. That's right. Whether you're selling spring rolls or summer dresses... Or both. Yeah. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from yep. an in-person point of sale system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform and even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. That's right. And Shopify is also packed with industry-leading tools ready to just boom, ignite your growth. That's what ignition sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And you thanks to 20... Now, listen, listen. Yeah. I'm, I'm done with that. I've done that for years. Okay? I'm hanging <laughs> it up. want new skills. And thanks to 24-7 help. That's 24-7, John, all the time. Yep. And an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Now, listen. What's incredible to me about Shopify, one of the many things, is yeah. how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with confidence and control to take your business to the next level. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dadville, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dadville to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash dadville. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. But do you remember your perception of like when you first heard now we're going to America? Are you like oh the like we're going to the enemy country? Yeah, the, the opposite. Place where we were a pretty Western family, and we'd been in America several times. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So I just remember thinking America's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> they got, I, yeah. I remember thinking America's. <laughs> they got canned coke, coke for man. days. <laughs> I mean, that's where Disney was. Like right. when we came to America, like yeah, we didn't yeah, come to America yeah, 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 yeah. and go to you know Texas. We went to America and went to like Florida. Went yeah. to yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah, so I just remember yeah. thinking as a little kid, like this is a this is cool. Yeah. Okay. And okay. so, but we weren't allowed in America for so because so we get stuck in Europe. Because nobody was allowing Iranians in. So physically, uh-huh. where are you at this we, point? We, we land in Switzerland. Yeah. We apply for political asylum uh-huh. to the American consulate. And then we got stuck in Europe for nine months. Where? Waiting. So after we were in Switzerland for a couple of weeks, my parents found out that the American consulate and the American embassy in Munich, Germany – might be more sympathetic okay, because there was an army base okay. in Munich, Germany, okay. mm-hmm. and there were a lot of military folks there. Some of them knew my dad because oh, they wow. had taken okay. flight training together, and they'd come to Iran and stuff. Gotcha. So my dad, feeling like they had better, better you know, chances, chances there, yeah. we, we literally went from Switzerland to Munich. Y'all fly? So can I ask a, yeah. a real yeah. logistical question? Like, yeah. Your parents and your family has just left everything. Right. Like- how are they even? How do you? How do you afford to survive yeah. for nine months? Bitcoin. No. <laughs> oh my no. gosh. Uh, <laughs> okay. No. So, it all makes sense. So it's a great question. So 
they took some money, John, uh-huh. like a little bit, just because it was, hey, we're going to Switzerland for this oh, operation. Oh, right, 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 So right. they took probably like, I don't know, I, I don't know the number, but 10 grand right, with right. them, 15. But then this That's was- so this was because they're probably this, like, we can't take too much. Exactly. Yeah. But then this was dumb. They took my my brother's, Benjamin, my brother was an infant at that time. They took my brother's car- carriage mm-hmm. and they- t- pulled apart the lining and they <gasps> stuffed cash in it. well no they stuffed some uh, tiny pieces of jewelry in these different places uh-huh. then they took uh, one of the suitcases took the lining out and they they rolled they put some american cash in it and then they put the the you know the lining back in but i remember when we were going to the airport oh, my dad's man. hand was shaking and he kept saying this is dumb like it's yeah. not worth if they find this stuff, they're going to find out we're escaping. Right, right. But again, you look back and see God's just righteous right hand, yeah. you know, just carrying our family out of there. And so we had some money, but we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. And, and so we didn't, come to, we didn't come to Switzerland and like check into a really nice hotel. We literally went to Germany after we were in Switzerland for a while, and we lived in like really low-income housing, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so we went from, I would say, upper, upper middle class to, to poor. Yeah, mm. and we were in Germany for nine months, and my dad tried legally. He tried illegally. He tried every way he could to come to America, but again, we were just hitting a hard stop because we were from the wrong place at the wrong time. And was this like every day? You're like, "Hey, Dad, good news," or is it like every, almost every day, bro? Yeah, yeah my dad. I mean, that was his one mission, right? Yeah. It's like, so what how do you- I get this family in America? It's interesting. We had we had President Carter at as one of our guests at Liberty. Oh my and gosh. I was sitting with him and I was telling Jeez. him, I was like, President Carter, I remember as a little kid, like thinking you're the reason we're not coming to America because he was president. No he would, I just remember my, my dad saying, Jimmy Carter, you know, <laughs> he is not. And, and, and he was telling me some of the backstory and I was just like, this is insane. That, oh, by the way, one of our other guests, you got to have that conversation. I know. Unbelievable. One of our guests, John, at Liberty was the Marine who was one of the Iranian hostages. Who was <gasps> held. No way. So it's just, Holy just later in life, just the opportunities again, where God just allowed me to be able to get insight from like President Carter on what was happening at that moment, you know, and, and how he wanted to help. But, yeah. but the election was coming up and his perspective anyway from things. But anyway, so we were stuck in, we we're stuck in Europe. So what, so sorry. Yeah. What are you physically doing? You just hanging out at the, at the house, like chilling with your fam every day. I'm picturing you with like a can of Coke in your hand, like a crayon <laughs> falling out of your mouth. Just like dad, any news? And then news dad. How was it? <laughs> He's been through the green. Uh, any more? Hey dad, run, kind of running low on crayons. <laughs> Plenty of Cokes, but. More crayons, please. If you and dip hey, them, actually. Hey, no black ones. They're yeah, licorice. That's, no oh, black that's ones. A good one. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, did you go to school so there? So because my parents knew some folks from oh, that's the, right. they had, the yep, army yep, base in yep, Munich, yep. they talked them into allowing my sister and I to go to the army base and go to, go to school. In English. Mm-hmm. And we started learning a few words. Yeah, we started learning English. You didn't know any English at, at that point. I didn't know any English. Yeah. So for months and months, every day, my mom would – or my sister was old enough too eventually where she was super responsible. She was five years older than me. We would take the train, uh, my sister and I, to the army base. That is mm-hmm. terrifying. To school. And, Two uh, kids that don't speak, definitely don't speak German. Yeah. But don't speak English yet. Like getting on a train and just going like. I mean, honestly, my sister is, she's a, 
she's baller, dude. She just ran the shop. And my mom would take us. <laughs> and, and, we'd, and, and we liked it when my mom wasn't with us because we'd stop for yeah. gummy bears and <laughs> crayons. pretzels sure. and crayons. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but so for nine months, man, I just remember just feeling it like every day, like Jeez. in this small apartment, my dad feeling like I'm hitting this wall trying to just break the barrier and get my family. And this is crazy. My mom one day got us together and she said, she said, have you ever guys, have you ever, have you guys ever seen this person? She shows us this picture and it's this like handsome fella, like kind of a Caviezel-ish, um, Jim Caviezel-ish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Duck mm-hmm, Dynasty mm-hmm, looking mm-hmm. guy with a beard and a mullet, kind of very Americanized Jesus. And she was like, have you ever seen, have you guys ever seen this person? And we were like, no. And she said, this is Jesus and he's American. And oh um, we, she said, we... <laughs> We want to, <laughs> we want to go to America. And she said, "I've got this American idea." She goes, "We've been trying all these different ways to get here." She goes, "Since we want to go to America, we ought to pray to Jesus, since he's America's God, no and way. ask him to let us into his country." She was saying this in full earnest. Yeah, yeah. When I tell that, by the way, my sister goes, "Mom didn't think he was American." I was like, "I remember her saying he's American," and I actually think that's pretty funny because I think most Americans think <laughs> sure. Jesus was a white Republican <laughs> right, who's course. on Fox, you know, at nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Fox needs to want like piercing blue eyes. Yeah, he's he he looks like Tucker Carlson or whatever. But like he he was actually more from my neck of the woods than your neck right. of the woods. He's more right. Camel Dynasty than Duck Dynasty. Like, right, right. Anyway, so so I, I just remember my mom saying, like, if we want to go to America, we should pray to Jesus and ask him to let us into his country. And so we pray to let like, Jesus let us into your country. And I'm just telling you, a week later, the doors opened up, you know? And Jeez. all of a sudden the doors opened up and – I just remember as a kid thinking, as we're coming to America, like, hey, I hate religion because I saw it destroy my country. Mm. Sure, yeah. But hey, Jesus, thanks for letting us. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it. Right. Jesus, thanks for the. Uh, <laughs> so for, so for what the was the reason? What? Yeah. Like I, what happened behind so, the scenes? So my dad had this this military family in Colleen, Texas. The Colstons became our sponsors, and they pled our case and said this man helped. Americans escaped from Iran. Oh wow! When the, when the revolution happened, when we were like right uh-huh. when it was happening, this man is not one of them. He's one yeah. of us, and he's he's a good honorable man, and he's got a lot of friends here. And so they made an exception eventually. Yeah. But I see it as in God's sovereign timing. God just my first ever moment of hearing the name of Jesus was us praying for him to do something we couldn't do for ourselves. Holy cow! And a week later, he did. So I remember as a little kid thinking like. I don't understand who Jesus is, but apparently he's got the power to yeah. put did you have, in our hands. Did you have a preconceived notion of Jesus before that? Not really. Yeah. Not really. I mean, Jesus is in the Quran. Uh-huh. You know, like so is David, a lot of these stories. But, you know, but I, I wasn't that versed in it, so yeah. I didn't really. So we moved to America. I where? Mean, we, we go to Colleen, Texas. Oh, where their family Yeah. Was. So imagine this. Jesus. The hostages are still there. In Iran, oh, we're from God, the wrong place. So dude. we don't just move to patriotic America. Uh, we move to patriotic Texas, yeah, America, yeah. and not just patriotic Texas America. We move to a military town. Mm-hmm. So I'm just a wedgie waiting to happen, man. Like, I'm, yeah. 
wrong haircut, wrong clothes, wrong language. Allegedly. Talk about ultimate fish out of water, man. Like I, Which I, I the irony in. is you could you probably could relate to all these kids who are at this military school and all that kind of stuff because you're like, guys, this is my life too. Just, That's right. Just, I'm a military brat too. Yeah. Exactly. But again, they're watching on TV how Iran's the enemy. Yeah. And then they're saying, hey, this is a new family and they're from Iran. Yeah. You know? In a military town in Texas during the Iranian hostage situation. Yeah. So we come in and I mean I was I was instantly like the loner kid. I mean I come into America mm-hmm. and I was the kid who sat by himself and ate his lunch alone every day. I was the kid who heard every nickname, every seven eleven joke, every turban joke, every you know I got called bean dip. I'm not even Mexican. I was like, you're not even accurate in your racism. You're going to be mean. Yeah. You're going to be racist. Be accurate if you're going to be hateful. Let me help you out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we need to refine this. Yeah. Wait. And so, so I just remember honestly thinking like we've escaped from like one unsafe place. Mm, yeah. Physical unsafe place yeah. to like an another kind of unsafe place. Right. You know, like another kind of terrorism. And the weapon of mass destruction here is just like loneliness. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so for years, man, that was me. For years and years, I was this like outcasted kid who just didn't blend in. Couldn't and you got friends. to Texas when you were 10? I was about so? 10, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then from Texas, we eventually moved to another army base. My dad actually, he was a helicopter pilot. Oh, know? okay. And so he, he, he knew how to, he, how to train people to, to fly Hueys and TH-55. So that's what he was doing occupationally. That's right, in Iraq. God, that's Thank goodness he could slide into a job. Totally. Because what a nightmare that had been. 100%. And, and at this point, all of you got like, did you pick up English super quickly? I'm learning super quick. I'm yeah. learning, by the way, from school, yeah. but I'm also watching Happy Days and MASH and Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I learned English literally watching Happy Days. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I learned from the Fonz. You have, I, yeah, from, I was going to say, yeah. you have like a Fonz accent. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I see that as a compliment. At 10, anyway. like, how you guys doing? You guys yeah. Good to see Hey, hey. hey. up against jukeboxes all across <laughs> Texas. I'm just hitting jukeboxes. They're not turning on. I'm like, this isn't working. What's happening? So I so so we moved to Alabama, we to to Enterprise Alabama where Fort Rucker is. So we went from okay. Fort Hood to Fort Rucker. And then and so we lived in the south basically for years, but everywhere we went, I was constantly kind of the outcasted mm. kid, you know, like kind of the loner kid until the day my freshman year in high school was about to start. Mm. So Man, that's a long time. Yeah, man. And and I remember like if I had a thought about God, we were Muslim. We were, we were Shiite by heritage, but we weren't super devout as a Muslim family. But I remember when I would have thoughts about God, it would be like, because of religion, we've lost everything. Because mm-hmm. of religion, life, life kind of stinks here in America for me. Mm-hmm. So I just remember just getting, kind of not really having much of an appetite for God. The day before my freshman year in high school was about to start, I'm sitting in my room and I'm crying mm. because I'm thinking about like high school being next level. Like right. getting bullied. Freshman year was tough for me. Yeah. And I'm in the town that I was born in. Basically. Exactly. You know what I mean? And you, you look like tough. A, a model. You know? <laughs> that is I, hard for John. Really I know. Hard. And, and, I, and I look like the guy that like the kid getting bullied by everybody else down the food chain. It was like, at least I can beat him up. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> at, least, at least I'm not that guy. I have one big eyebrow. Like I didn't even start to pluck. It looked like a daggum like built-in visor. You know? <laughs> The walking chia pet, you know, you're like 16, hairy, like looks like what is happening. So you anyway, the fonz, what got, got yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So I'm sitting in my room and I'm crying and my dad hears me. He comes in. He said, what's wrong? I said, it's just not working out. Like, mm-hmm. this has been hard and I don't want school to start tomorrow. And my dad felt sorry for me. And so he put me in the car and he drove me to the mall and he tried to fix it. You mm-hmm. know, he got me new clothes, new haircut, new shoes, new everything. And man, I went to, to high school the next day and I call it geek to chic. I mean, I just went to school and I went from like this kid that nobody wanted to hang out with to instantly like because of what i wore or you know the, the haircut and everything like all of a sudden a few girls started to like notice me and in this small town alabama it just felt cool all of a sudden to be kind of foreign uh-huh. <laughs> and and all of a sudden these guys hang asked me to come hang out with them and i never had friends you know and my high school years all became instantly these years where i learned how to play high school like i learned how to end up at the right lunchroom table yeah. I learned how to dump the right girl before she could dump me. Right. I learned how to be cold to people, to be mm-hmm. perceived as cool to people. It, it says in Scripture, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Mm-hmm. And that was me. Like, at least when I was a nobody, I was David the nobody. But I basically thought if if what it takes, to, even if it's fabricated friendships, if mm-hmm. what it takes to find friends and not be alone is to just drink what everybody wants you to drink, hang out, wear whatever, like, I'll play the game. Yeah. And by the time I graduated from high school, I'd learned really well how to play high school, yeah. you know? And on paper, it seemed like everything had flipped 180. On paper, it felt like everything was good. Like, oh, he's getting along, mm-hmm. he's popular. And, but again, I, I'd completely sold out. And I knew I was just a shell, you know? I was just basically performing more than anything else for others. Mm-hmm. And so... I graduated by the, by the way by this time we'd moved <laughs> we'd moved to Texas and then we moved back to Alabama all right so every time we'd move but I knew by this time how to play high school mm. it was just like oh it's about like having the right labels driving the right car and then up at the right place and, you know and so I graduated from high school in Birmingham a place called Vestavia Hills I graduated from high school barely like 1.9 GPA <laughs> mm-hmm. but popular you know, mm-hmm. but just emotionally just bankrupt. Dang. <laughs> John, I don't even know why we're laughing. I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Okay. I'm just laughing because I was thinking about how much I love it when children's vitamins are not filled with sugar, chemicals, and gummy junk. You know, John, you must be talking about Haya. I'm talking about and Haya. And I couldn't agree more. My yep. kids love them. Yep. And they love the stickers they got with the first order to decorate the bottle. Well, let me let me ask you something. Okay. Did you know that Haya was formulated with the help of nutritional experts and is pediatrician approved, Dave? Did you know that? Mm, I, I know now, but I didn't write before you asked. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. I know a lot more. Let me give you more facts. Okay. It's a super-powered, chewable vitamin that tastes great, even for picky eaters, and is made with zero sugar. John, did you know something? Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with the yummy taste they love. I did know that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's some more. It's also non-GMO, vegan, and allergy-free, containing no dairy, gelatin, or nuts. John, you would think that with this kind of uh, product, they would just chuck it into your yard, right? Because right? they would done, still be great. They've done so much for you. 
Exactly. They're just going to throw it in your yard when they deliver. But guess what? They don't do that. It's sent straight to your door. Straight to your door. And best of all, we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You can receive... You're not going to believe this. Okay. Everybody sit down. If you're driving, okay. pull your, your car over. Okay. You can receive 50% off your first order. Oh, my gosh. Tell them how to claim this deal, dude. Okay, I, I will. Claim this deal, folks, by going to HayaHealth.com slash dadville this deal is not available on the regular website no it's not so go to h-i-y-a-h-e-a-l-t-h dot com slash dadville and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults hey dave Dave? yes yeah. Oh my gosh. So, you okay? Yeah, I was just thinking about Relief Band. Okay, well, let me say something that's going to blow your mind. Dadville what? is sponsored by Relief Band. No yes. way. Okay, let me ask you a question. Okay. Have you ever had to pull the car over because uh-huh. someone in the car was car sick? Mm-hmm. Or maybe somebody in your family had to miss school or work because they were nauseous? True story. Annie can make herself car sick when she drives. That's how much I have to deal with this, John. Okay. And, and for those who are listening, if that sounds familiar, you know, tell them what they need, John. Relief Band. That's right. Relief yes, Band is right. the number one FDA cleared anti nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting. But two of least favorite things in the world together. And yeah. they're usually your tag, their tag team. Yeah. They're associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers. Morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. Dave, I love Relief Band. Yeah, you Can do. I just be honest and vulnerable? Yeah. And let me tell you why. Yeah. I love Relief Band because whenever one of the girls start getting a little car sick, yep. we give them Relief Band and yep. the nausea, boom, it goes yeah. away. Wow. And it makes that sound. It, it goes wow. boom when wow. it goes away. Wow. They feel so much better. And we don't take a road trip without it anymore. And we always have it ready to go at home, too. I feel that. In case I wasn't clear, Relief Band is legitimately a band you wear on your wrist to give you relief from nausea and uses technology that works with your body so it's safe, drug-free, and has zero side effects. It's that simple. That's right. Plus, Relief Band both treats and prevents nausea. So you can help stop nausea from becoming a problem in the first place. It's a must-have for every road trip. So if you always have a flashlight on hand for a blackout or a first aid kit on hand for emergencies, then you need a relief band for those unexpected nausea moments. Right now, we've got an exclusive offer just for Dadvillers. If you go to reliefband.com and use the promo code DADVILLE, you will receive 20% off plus free shipping. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our code DADVILLE for 20% off plus free shipping. When you're in those high school years and you're having you know, quote unquote friends or whatever, this community around you, is your story, are people interested in that? Or are you, are you trying Mm. to avoid talking about that? You know what I mean? That's an interesting question. It's a great question because I've never been asked that question. Looking back on it, I think people were interested in it when it would come up. Like, so where are you from, Nasser? You know, somebody Uh would say, and I would just come on from Iran and they go, what's that place like? And so they'd be interested in it. When it was interesting to be in it, but I don't think most of my friends saw me as an Iranian. They kind of saw me as a preppy kid on the tennis team who, Mm -hmm. like, I would, I would throw parties, you know, big, big like keg parties, and I would, 
I was I was I was kind of the life of the like in the life of the party. I was yeah. always just and so they kind of knew me as this like preppy high school kid yeah. who was probably destined to just go get in a frat, you know, at mm-hmm. Auburn and mm-hmm. just keep doing his thing more than an Iranian. But it's, sometimes people would go, "Now what's that last name from?" and I would pivot and become Iranian for yeah. a little while. But yeah. I didn't feel Iranian. Yeah. Like my sister was 5 years older than me. She feels very much like that's her primary mm. bent. She's Persian. I yeah. was nine when we came here, mm-hmm. 10 when, you know, when we landed. I didn't feel Iranian. Yeah. The most Iranian I feel is when I'm telling my story. Right. I wow. think American. If, anything, if I felt regional, I feel more Southern mm-hmm. <laughs> than I feel anything else. If I have an accent, it's not an Iranian accent. It's a Southern accent. You know? yeah. It didn't come up a lot. Mm-hmm. Not my heritage. Not in high school. No. Yeah. That is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, what a story. So when did your conversion happen? Two months after high school. One night, I'm in the car with a buddy of mine, and we're smoking weed. It's, we're right in front of my house. It's like two minutes before midnight. We're trying to finish up this joint. And uh, while we're passing it back and forth, he says to me, hey, man, you were so down tonight. Why are you, why are you so down? Because, again, I was always just like this life of the party. And I said, dude, I hugged like six people goodbye tonight who are going off to college. And you and I are like 1.9 GPA. Like, man, you and I like haven't figured this out yet. And, and I said, man, we built this whole thing up in high school where we were popular. And, and now it all just kind of, as soon as we got our cap and gown, it kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, all these juniors that are graduating up think we're cool. We can come hang out with them. And I was like, I don't want to be that loser, you know, like <laughs> creepy, you know, like 31 with like your high school ring and jacket still on. Yeah. So I'm telling him like, no, we need to move on. And. And while I'm telling him how bummed I am that we'd built this thing up and it faded out as soon as we graduated, he looks over at me and he goes, well, you know, the high school's not the only place where like teenagers hang and are social. He goes, you ought to come with me to church tomorrow because a lot of our friends go to my youth group. And I'm surprised he's inviting me to church because he's literally handing me a joint while he's inviting me to church. Uh. And so he's like, you ought to come to church with me tomorrow. And I'm like, you go to church? <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, yeah, man, I'm a Baptist, you know? <laughs> so I'm just cutting time, to like Jesus in the back seat. So we're like, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah. I guess this is working. I, don't, exactly. you know, like, <laughs> I mean, the first time I heard the word Southern Baptist, I thought it was like a type of weed. <laughs> anyway, so, so I was like, oh, is it good? He was like, it's so good, man. So... So, and that's so the South, where like everyone's on roll somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I didn't know you go to church. And he starts telling me like, oh yeah, man, once in a while I go. And he goes, I'm going tomorrow. And he goes, you ought to come to church with me tomorrow. And and I tell him, I said, dude, there's no way my dad is going to let me go to church. Oh yeah. He said, why? I said, because my dad is more like adamant about these things than me. And he said, well, why don't you ask him? I said, I'm not asking him. He goes, you need to go ask him. So just to get my buddy off my back on a Saturday night at midnight. We get out of the car. He gets out with me. I go in my house. He stands at the front door to make sure I'm asking him. Like He's stoned, right? I'm stoned. I walk down the hallway, and I knock on my parents' bedroom door, and I said, hey, mom and dad, it's midnight. I'm home. I'm safe. I'm sorry to wake you up. My friend wants to know if tomorrow I can go with him to church. I know you're going to say no. Just say no loud enough so he'll leave me alone because he's standing at the hallway. And instead of saying no, my dad's quiet for like three seconds. Literally, the door's closed. They're in bed. I'm standing in the hallway. And my dad goes, what is the name of it? 
He's asking the name of the church. Mm. So my buddy who's stoned down the hallway yells really loud. He goes, Shades. And Shades was like shorthand for Shades Mountain Baptist Church down the street from our home. So my dad yells back. As soon as he hears the word Shades, he goes, I know those people. And what I didn't know was that I'm standing there on a Saturday night asking if I can go to church. But about two weeks prior to that, what I didn't know was that there were these people who had come to my dad's restaurant. My dad had opened up a French restaurant. I know it's confusing, but stay with me. All right. So my dad had opened up this French restaurant. And about two weeks before that Saturday night, while they were at these, – these people were at my dad's restaurant. We're talking about the worship pastor of this church, a guy named Aubrey Edwards, and a couple of other folks from this church. They'd gone to my dad's restaurant to eat, and while they were there, they had seen how he was shorthanded on waitstaff. No And way. instead of complaining about the service, they'd gotten up and rolled up their sleeves and waited on tables in my Shut dad's restaurant. Up. Wow. And then they'd come back the next day to help him Jeez. again. And then Aubrey, the worship pastor, had invited my dad to choir practice. <laughs> and my dad, because kindness is a superpower, had gone to choir practice. And then they had signed up at choir practice on a piece of paper for different shifts to serve my dad. At his Jeez, wow. And so, dude, That's for awesome. two weeks, these Christians had parachuted into Cafe de France, all right, and the Birmingham. That's my dad's little restaurant. And, and had been serving my dad. So fast forward two weeks later, my dad's heart is massaged towards yeah. faith or yeah. Christians. And then I'm asking if I can go to church. And instead of saying no, he says, what's his name? And it's the exact same church as the people that had helped him out. If that doesn't make you a Calvinist, <laughs> nothing ever will. And so my dad goes, I know those people. You can go there. And so I'm telling you, the hero of my story is not like some Iranian kid that turned out okay. It's about a church that showed up. Wow. I get to That's tell this so story cool. today because a bunch of believers were believable. Yeah. A bunch of Christians just showed up at my dad's restaurant. The worship pastor led with a towel in his hand mm -hmm. and wipe tables at my dad's restaurant. And that's why I got permission to go to church. So I go to church and dude, as soon as I walked in that church, Sunday morning, I go to this church. As soon as I walked in, they saw me and it was like, we don't even have to do foreign missions with a passport. The 1040 window has shown up to us. Like they, they, this youth group saw me and they knew, like I, my reputation was I threw these parties at school. I was yeah. part They saw me and they were just like, this is amazing. Like we're so, and they were so nice to me. Yeah. These Christians at this youth group, they were so kind to me. And, and they had this thing called visitation. And for eight Monday nights in a row, these Christians came to my house and they shared the gospel with me. Was it just you or your family? Just me. Just you? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, one week it would be, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. Let's explain that. The next week they'd come back. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Let's explain that. The next week, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Let's explain that. It was always the same message, different passage. It was like, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus is that savior. You want to give your life to Christ. And every week I would say to them, guys, I'm sure you're good people and he loves you. I hate religion. And they'd go, we hate religion too. You know? mm, we don't want uh -huh. you to become religious. And they kept telling me about Jesus. And for eight weeks, they showed up and shared the gospel with Jeez. me. And for eight weeks, every Sunday, somebody would come to my house and drag me to their church. And so one night, eight weeks in, the preacher preached the gospel. And uh, he, was, he was old school. Like this guy wasn't cool and hip like your pastor at Midtown or, you know, whatever, Church of the City, like no skinny jeans. Like this guy was like, 
comb over, King James only, <laughs> sweating out of places that don't even have glands, you know, like old school preacher. But anointed, you know, yeah. anointed. And it was almost like somebody had handed this man a sticky note with like all of me on it. I just remember in the sermon, he just like preached and he, he said a few things and he said, if you need to give your life to Christ, I want you to have the courage to, uh, this was like old school when they would give invitations. You know, he said, I want mm-hmm. you to have the courage to step out of the aisle, step out in the aisle and come forward. And I remember thinking, sitting there thinking two things. Like number one, I got to stop letting these Christians in my house because they're starting to get to me. Like I remember feeling something going, I feel something. And I'm not, like, and I, if they come to my house tomorrow night, this was on a Sunday night, I'm not letting him in. I got to be done. I'm starting to feel like something weird. And then second, I remember thinking all my life I've been terrorized by religion. And now some guy's trying to scare me down an aisle, you know, for his ego or whatever. I'm not doing it. Now, when you say, because I'm starting to feel something, you mean like it's starting to work? Yeah. Like when you're lost, you think of it as a guilt trip or these Christians are trying to like French fry me in religion or whatever. Uh Now, as a Christian, I realized it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I'm starting to feel something. They're starting to get to me. Yeah. I got to stop. Like I'm not coming in with them anymore to the church. They're not dragging me here anymore. And I say dragging me, but I wanted to go. I acted like they were dragging me, but, and I'm not letting him in. If they're coming for week nine for visitation on Monday night, I'm not letting him in anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided during that invitation, I'm not doing this anymore. And so I went home that night and I thought, I'm done. Like, I'm done with these Christians. And the Holy Spirit, man, I'm mm-hmm. telling you, God's Spirit was thicker in my house <laughs> than it was in that building, you know? And I didn't understand omnipresence. I didn't understand. I thought, like, you have to find a building with a steeple to find God. You know, I, I didn't know like he's everywhere. I remember coming home, John, and the presence of God in my house. Mm-hmm. Like I felt, I felt weirder in my house. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Than I felt even in the in, in the church building. And my parents were out of town that night. I walked in my bedroom, and there was a stack of Bibles sitting on my dresser because these Christians kept bringing me Bibles, and. <laughs> I had ESV, NIV, I had everything, King Jimmy. All, <laughs> They're like, if that's not working, let's do another one. <laughs> a lot of them had other people's names on them. They got it from Lost and Found. I had a Precious Moments Bible. Anyway, so I, I walk in, I saw a stack of Bibles, and I remember thinking, every time they talk to me about God, they say, let's see what God has to say, and then they open up a Bible. Mm. And I thought, uh, I, I remember just thinking, like, this is starting to get to me, and I, and I need to shut God down. And by the way, a, a week before that, an incident had happened at a Shoney's that maybe I'll tell you about in just a little minute in a minute. But that was, that was the, the craziest it had felt. Like I felt really, really weird. Like something's going on, you know, mm-hmm. they're starting to get to me. Then fast forward a week later, this guy preaches the sermon and he's thinking, but that incident at that Shoney's in that Shoney's parking lot felt very much about like the Bible. They kept saying the Bible says, the Bible says. So fast forward when I come home and I'm thinking I'm not coming back again. And I saw the sack of Bibles. I thought, if the Bible is the way God speaks to these Christians, the way to tell God, shut up, like you're not allowed to speak anymore to me, I'm done, is to like take these Bibles and put them in the garbage can. But instead of doing that, I took the top Bible, and I went to my backyard, and Iranians are very dramatic, symbolic people. <laughs> I, I opened up my barbecue grill, I poured charcoal fluid all over the Bible, and I thought I'm going to burn this thing and show God I'm done. But I couldn't find one match <laughs> anywhere in the house. And I just started reading it. And I tell people that, and they go, what? You went from, like, trying to burn it to start reading it? How did that happen? And I'm just like, I don't know. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Or 
I don't know, maybe the spiritual CPR of like what God began in me, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just remember just starting reading it. And an hour later, man, I was in my room after just God's word. Powerful. Like it says in the Bible, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cuts through bone and marrow and judges the attitudes of life. That literally happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it just rightfully judged me. And God, and I just remember thinking, like reading that Bible that was so boring, and I try to stay away from like with charcoal fluid on it. Mm-hmm. Like God just God loves me, and and he he wants my heart, he wants my life, and uh, so I was eighteen and two months old that night, and I just I sat in my room, and my hands smelled like charcoal fluid, and I knew all the fancy words redemption, salvation justification, anything that ends with the T-I-O-N. I just, mm-hmm. I just remember just not using any of those. I said, Jesus, I know you're real. These Christians had taught me, like, it's about surrendering your life to him. And I said, I'm surrendering myself to you. I'm yours. And so I became a Christian that night, 18 and two months old in my bedroom. And my parents were out of town that night. They came home a couple hours later. And I told them what was going on. Like, I've become a Christian. I was pretty emotional about it. And my parents instantly became devout Muslims. <laughs> they were yeah. like, you cannot be a Christian, but Muslims. Like, we are? <laughs> we haven't been till tonight. Anyway, so two weeks later, I got baptized at the church that I became a Christian. And that's the night my parents hit the roof for me getting baptized. And they kicked me out of the house. Jeez. For, and they, wow. they disowned me for becoming a Christian and for, for getting baptized. And I moved in with six guys that lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And it was insane, man. I, on paper, it looked like I'd blown my life up. Yeah. You know, like my parents weren't paying for college. My parents kicked me out of the house. I, my car got taken away. I was, comp- but honestly, I'd never been more rich. I'd never been, I finally had hope and peace and purpose. And, and was I that, months, was that yeah. like blindsiding to you? Their reaction to it? Yes. Because I, honestly, it was more, it, it was his pride. Like it, he had lost his heritage, my dad. Yeah, right. He had lost his position in the army. He'd lost all these, you know, and now because of his prodigal son mm-hmm. <laughs> who had been led away to Christianity, he had lost his religion. And it's yeah. like that really nice jacket in your closet that you never wear until your wife wants to throw it away. And I was right. like, no, 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 no. Like yeah. my dad didn't care about religion until I was willing to throw it all away. Yeah. Islam. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they were very devout. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so... But I say that, but five months after I was a Christian, one night, my, my sister called me on the phone, weeping in the, through Campus Crusade on no her college campus. God had saved her. And then five months after that, my, my mom called me, and she was like, tonight I become a Christian. I'm like, why are you yelling? She was I want your father to hear because he's not kicking me nowhere. So my mom became a Christian. And then my brother Benjamin became a believer five months after that. And then two and a half years later, my dad uh, accepted Christ in his life. And so my story is so about it, just a church being the hero that just showed up in my family's life and how despite all of our mistakes, like all I've done is stumble forward. Like I've made, I've done everything wrong in the story. God has somehow saved me and my family. And yeah, it's insane. It's insane. To so think what was your dad's conversion? Oh my gosh. It was crazy, man. We said my mom needed bypass surgery that she didn't really need. Mm-hmm. Fast forward years later, and my mom all of a sudden needs bypass surgery. Wow! And I was out of town at that time, and and I get a call. I was I was I was in college in another city. And I get a call. Hey, mom, mom's gonna need surgery. 
So I come to town for this major bypass that needs to happen. And I tell some of my buddies that are pastors and youth pastors, like, hey, be praying for my mom. She needs surgery. And, and they, they made the mistake of showing up at the hospital. So they go in this hospital room, and they're like, can we pray for you? And so, you know, they, they start praying for my mom. This is like 20 minutes before they're about to take her out for the surgery. And my, there were some Iranian friends that were in the room, and then my pastor buddies who showed up. And when they were praying, my pastor buddies, my dad was embarrassed that his, like, Iranian son had brought these Christians to pray in front of his Muslim friends that were in the room. Mm -hmm. So during the prayer, my dad's running commentary in Persian. Like, he's, he's like, making fun, you know, kind of ridiculing them. And then, so my mom interrupts the prayer. She goes, I'm so sorry, excuse me. And so she starts ripping into my dad. Holy cow. So we're basically having my big, fat Greek, Iranian open heart surgery right there. The nurse comes in. She's like, y'all crazy. Like, she's going in for surgery. You're getting her heart rate up. Yeah. So (laughs) my friends leave. All these other people leave. My mom and dad get in this big fight. Right before her heart surgery. Right before her surgery. What an intense moment. Dude, that's that's so over the top. Anyway, so, so then they come, they put my mom in this stretcher. And they start rolling her down this hallway. And so me, my sister, and my dad, we start walking down the hallway behind my mom. And they, there's this door that you have to, like, push a button to open. And it says, authorized personnel only. Okay. And so my mom gets put on the other side. And the door closes. And my sister looks over at me and says, hey, I didn't tell you this because you were out of town. And I didn't want you to, like, worry because there's nothing you could do. She said, but we were just actually here. About a, about a week and a half ago, and she said, we came here to do this angioplasty for mom, where they inject dye into your heart, and they watch where the flowage and the blockage is with a, you know, a MRI machine or whatever. And she said, she said, mom got taken to this other side, just like this, just like right now. And on the other side is when these rooms are. And she said, and when they injected the dye in mom's heart, her heart was so weak that she flatlined. And I watched them, like this door opened up. I was standing right here. She said in the hallway. And I watched them run in and have to electrocute mom to barely bring her back. And so she, she looks at me and my dad, who's, by the way, very angry at me because I just brought a yeah, Christian. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not yeah. he looks, she looks at us and goes, you need to pay that this red light doesn't come on. I go, why? She goes, when that red light came on and started blinking, it's like recess light in the ceiling. She goes, that's when they need to run in mm-hmm. and elect- electrocute mom to shock her. So we're standing there, and I'm kind of praying, kind of like, you know, walking in the hallway for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, I hear, no. And I look, and the light's on, and it's blinking, you know. And so we run to the – we collapse the door. We run to the other side, and you can see that they're, like, have rushed in to electrocute to shock mom. She's flatlined again. So my sister runs up and she puts her, she gets on her knees and she just puts her hands up and she just starts screaming, God, no, please don't take mom away. God, please, no. So I just follow suit. I mean, I hit one knee and I just start going, God, please. And we're just looking at lights blinking and we're just going, God, please don't take mom away because she's flatlined again. And all of a sudden I feel this hand on my shoulder and it's my dad. And he had hit, he hits one knee. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, Jesus, please, please, Jesus. And instantly when my dad yells out the name of Christ, my mom's heart starts beating again. So a couple of days later, my mom is good. We're checking mom out of the hospital. And my sister goes, hey, mom, you know the other day when we lost you again? (laughs) Guess who was crying out the name of Jesus? Dad. And his bald head starts turning turning what I call Taliban red. (laughs) And and my, 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 my mom looks at my dad. She goes, so now you believe in Jesus? And he's like, yes. 
<laughs> and so literally he acknowledged Jesus because he was like, he couldn't fix it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so right then, man, my mom just said, well, you need to pray. And so my, my mom and dad prayed and my dad repeated after my mom and then got in Frank, Frank Barker, who was the pastor at Briarwood Presbyterian, who's the Yoda of our life. Oh, yeah. One of our, he, he started discipling my dad. And so no dad, way. Frank yeah, did. Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah. And so he would come to the restaurant and sit with my, my dad and talk to him about the Bible. It's insane, like what God just did in, in my parents' life. But anyway, so yeah, so my, that's how my dad came into the Lord. So how? And I, I, I'd love to tell you that he has grown. Like my dad has eternal life, but he's, he does not have the victorious Christian life. Like when mm. my, mom's passed, but my mom passed a couple of years later because of her heart, mm. and then my brother Benji passed because of cancer. It's just been one depression after mm -hmm. another depression. And, He's and, just gone uh, through so much loss. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's been really, really, really hard. My dad is such a wounded soul, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's really hard to look at it to the point where there are moments when I'd wonder if he really ever, if he genuinely gave his life to Christ that mm -hmm. day, you know, or that was more of a fear for my mom's passing or mm -hmm. whatever. But again, I think it just takes... It takes the faith of a mustard seed. I think, mm. I think that's what's amazing about Amazing Grace. Yeah. That that he would acknowledge him and that God would, this even if he's walked away from God, God's not walked away from him. Mm. So I I would say my father had a conversion moment, but he hasn't had a deep faith. Yeah. You know, there's certainly been moments where he has and moments where he's walked away. But yeah. do you and your dad talk about the uh, you know fleeing Iran? Do you? Yeah. Does that come up in conversation? Is that something that you got that connects you to? He's probably sat in the room and heard me share my testimony at a church or a conference or whatever, a uh -huh. hundred times. Yeah. And we've talked about it before in, in different places. He's he has such an incredible insight. He has more of the political landscape yeah. of what yeah. happened and those kind of things. I was a nine year old kid going through it. You know, like yeah. my seat in the stands was more about my my emotions and what I remember. And but yeah, we've talked about it. You know, mm -hmm. but it's not like we, we visit it every day right. or anything like that. It yeah. had to be interesting to see him once y'all had moved, what transpired after that. You yeah. know what I mean? In that country and, and realizing like to be away, that had to be so hard for him and your mom to yeah. look back and see there are people still there. Their family. Yeah. Right. Army, yeah. family and everyone. And so, yeah, th there is a longing that you sense in my sister. Mm. There's a longing you sense in my mom and, and my, my dad. And, and even with Benji, the way that he was wired, you know, he was Down syndrome and so fearfully and wonderfully made unique. Mm. And he just had a, he had an Iranian side to him that mm. was just so, so endearing and, so much allegiance to like yeah like that's where i was born as a child mm -hmm. I, I i don't want to fake it i just don't feel that way you mm -hmm. know what i mean like i i do like right now what's happening in iran has really broken my heart and i i want to leverage the tiny little bit of voice i have to shed light to it and i long for those people i've dedicated my book jumping through fires to the people of iran mm -hmm. you know that they would come to know what i've known that like religion destroyed Iran, but redemption can redeem it. You know, mm. Jesus can mm. redeem. Like I want that for them, but I don't feel Iranian. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, I just feel old. <laughs> I, just yeah. feel, I feel I feel like a dad. <laughs> you know, I remember, yeah. I, the most Iranian I feel again is, is this. And so we, when my, my, when I talk to my dad about his, he feels very much like 
a guy who longs to go back. Yeah. 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 I don't feel like that's my home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Okay. This is what I want to do. I want to stop. Yeah. I want to have you back and we do part two. It's been apparent uh, the last like twenty minutes. Like, we we're gonna have to. Oh, there's have you two. Back there's a sure. million. Much more we haven't even gotten to your life yet. Yeah. And well. you warned us. You said, Dave, let me tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna ask me about my story. <laughs> you did. And then <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> unfold. And I was like, No. Well, I've never told to. it in this detail. You guys ask such amazing questions. But, well, but I, yeah. we I'm really have, grateful yeah. that you told yeah, us because yeah. I know yeah. that this Thanks. is a, a, you know, like we talked about before. This is a well-worn path for you. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you. Tell it, because it's such a powerful story. Yeah. And again, my story, even now, when I, when I look at the high notes and the low notes, it's, it's such a – I love that passage in Isaiah. It says, I took you from the ends of the earth, mm. and from its farthest corners I called you, mm. and I said, you are my servant. Mm. I've chosen you, and I've not rejected you. And then yeah. he says, so do not fear, mm. for I am with you. I will hold you and I will help you in my righteous right hand. And I just go, man, I know that was a particular promise to a particular people, the Israelites, but me too. Mm-hmm. Like God has delivered that promise in my life. Because my story is all about what God's done, man. Like yeah. I went out of my way to mess it up. <laughs> I went out of my way to destroy my life. I went out of my way to do everything wrong. But yet God just showed up to these like incredible Christians who just – loved me and discipled me and yeah and even when i got kicked out of the house you know god just brought these incredible christians into my life who just became my spiritual parents and mm. and so the hero is in all of these is is, is god and his bride mm. you know who just have done incredible things and and when i tell the story to people i always want to remind them like there was a david nasser in your neighborhood mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, who's that Pakistani family who just moved in? They don't have to be from the Middle East. Like, there, there's a David Nasser in your school. There's a David Nasser right here in, you know, yeah. downtown Nashville. There's yeah. a David Nasser that, that God has put in your scope that would just love to take your faith seriously if he would just figure out a way to, like, walk into their life and just love them and serve them. Yeah. You know? That's what happened to me. Somebody just showed up at my dad's restaurant, loved them and served them. That's, and that's that is incredible. Okay, we're going we're gonna to have you back to actually get into your story because there's a million things. We need to get it wow. on air that you're coming back. Yeah, yeah. We have I'd you. love to come back. Okay, okay. we got it. That's the commitment. Thank we you for having us. We need it right there. Dad,